Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this morning uh, to the Gospel according to Mark. And we're turning back to Mark chapter 14. Uh, We have been working through Mark, and this morning we come to the 14th chapter, and we're reading verses 1 through 11 this morning. Mark chapter 14, and this is found on page 850 in the Church Bibles. This is God's word. It was now two days before the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, As he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why has the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, What she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Well, as mentioned, uh, this morning we're turning to a new section uh, in Mark's gospel. Uh, We have been looking at a lot of Jesus' teachings uh, in Mark's gospel. And you remember, uh, if you can remember back in uh, a month ago, uh, even in Mark 13, we were looking at what has come to be known as the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus was teaching about uh, the coming destruction of the temple, of God's judgment against a rebellious uh, people. But uh, as we come here to Mark 14, there's a shift in focus. Uh, And you see that even in the beginning of the the chapter. It tells us now a new time point that it wants us to reference. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we're shifting now here to a, a, a final section of Mark's Gospel. What is commonly referred to as uh, the Passion of Christ. When you hear the word Passion... Uh, Maybe you think of uh, simply a strong feeling, Uh, but passion, uh, and when Christians speak about the passion of Christ, it is speaking about the sufferings of Christ. And here in Mark 14, that is the focus here, as the Passover begins to loom large. Uh, Something about uh, the Passover is going to shape the way in which we understand the life and the death, ultimately, of Jesus. But as we turn here, uh, you notice that it is really setting the stage uh, for understanding the events that lead up to the end of Jesus's life. Uh, And Mark wants us to think about it in light of uh, the Passover event. Uh, 
the Passover was uh, one of the, the great annual feasts of the people of Israel. Uh, it was a, a time when they celebrated the Lord's deliverance from the land of Egypt, when the Lord passed over the houses that were marked with the blood of the Lamb, uh, that they were delivered or protected from the judgment of God, but they ultimately were delivered from Egypt as a result. They were rescued uh, by God's grace. And so this Passover was uh, a feast that they celebrated to help them understand who they were. They had been redeemed by the power of God, and now they belonged to the Lord in response. But it also says uh, that it was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. The Passover would have begun uh, in the middle of the first uh, month of uh, the Jewish calendar. But then after the feast of the Passover happens, which begins after sunset, uh, after the feast of the Passover, the feast of unleavened bread would extend after that, uh, that it would carry on uh, following the feast of Passover. And so really these, these two feasts become one. Uh, they are celebrated in practice uh, all together. Uh, the Passover celebrating the deliverance and the un unleavened bread uh, also highlighting their exodus in haste, uh, but also teaching them an important truth of being without the yeast of sin, that they were to be consecrated to the Lord their God. But all of this is setting the stage, this big picture of where are we in Jesus's life. And Mark wants us to understand events are now moving towards Passover. Uh, it's close. And so we have this big picture in mind when we think about the ministry of Jesus. But we don't just have a big picture as we come to Mark 14. We also have an understanding of a certain plot that is forming. Because at this point, uh, it is clear that Jesus' opponents are prepared not only to arrest him, but are wanting to put him to death. Uh, it tells us there uh, that the chief priests and the scribes, these religious uh, um, scribal authorities, were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and to kill him. But they were also in agreement that it should not happen during the feast, lest there be an uproar. Uh, the Passover feast and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the only place you are allowed to celebrate the Passover is in Jerusalem which means there's going to be a swelling of people, that all of the people of Israel are going to come. The males are going to come to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. And when that happens, it means that there's not just a swelling of population, but there's going to be a growing concern from the Roman authorities. Because the Jewish people uh, had always a segment that wanted to revolt against the Roman authorities. They were uh, foreign authorities over them. And there was always a segment that was wanting to overthrow the Romans. And so as you see this mounting of people congregating in Jerusalem, from the Roman point of view, this is a growing concern uh, that an uprising might take place. And so the Romans are going to be on high alert as to what is going to be happening over this feast. So it is a, it is a time of tension, uh, even uh, from the Roman authorities' point of view. But it's also a time of tension from the popularity of Jesus. These uh, chief priests and scribes say, 
were not going to do anything during the feast because the Galilean, Jesus, has won the favor of many people all over the land. And if we arrest him during the feast, it is going to spark a protest. The people are going to be upset. They're going to uh, not accept it. And so our own, our own position, our own authority is going to come under attack. And so it is, from their point of view, this is, this is something we're going to have to do, but we're not going to do it during the feast. It is too politically explosive. The Romans are watching. But it's also too controversial for us. We need to stay in the good books with the people of God. And the people of God collectively are embracing this Jesus. That, that he has grown in popularity across the land. And so we can't simply proceed as we want. We have to do this with stealth. We have to do this when people aren't all here. And so we're beginning to see something of the setting. Big picture, there's a Passover feast that's happening. We're also being reminded of a plot to arrest and to kill Jesus. And Mark even goes on in verses 10 to 11 to tell us how this plot is going to be carried out. Ultimately, it's going to be from within the 12 that Judas is going to be one who uh, gives over Jesus. But in between all of this, Mark sandwiches these uh, details with an event in Jesus's life. An event that perhaps if we were living in the first century, we may not have included. If we were trying to explain what happened in Jerusalem, how is it that this Jesus Messiah figure was put to death? We might focus in on Judas. We might focus in on the chief priests. But would we focus in on this event that took place before Jesus died. And what Mark is doing is he is really placing in contrast the different perspectives on Jesus. That you have these chief priests who look at Jesus as a threat, that we have to put him to death. You have Judas who looks at Jesus as something of a disappointment, that he no longer wants Jesus, and he's willing to betray him for a few coins. But in between these two perspectives, you have this attitude of a woman who cherishes Jesus and who honors him in a way that stands in stark contrast to the others. And this morning, we want to look at the anointing of Jesus that takes place at Bethany. And we want to see that it was a beautiful act that was done for Jesus leading up to his own death. And we want to see how uh, Jesus himself honors this woman uh, who does that. We want to see that because Jesus was willing to be crucified, uh, we ought to cherish him above all else. Uh, we want to think about this act of anointing Jesus as something uh, that is uh, done to Jesus, something that was despised, something that was defended, and something that is declared. Well, first, it is a beautiful act that is done to Jesus. It says there in verse 3 that while he was at Bethany, while Jesus was at Bethany, just out on the outskirts around Jerusalem, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining a table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. We know nothing about this Simon the leper uh, besides his nickname. 
the leper. Presumably, uh, this Simon was a leper himself, but he was someone who had been healed. And having been healed, he's now restored to the community of the people. And he's now able to have people into his home again. You remember at the beginning of Mark's gospel, uh, one of the earliest miracles that Jesus did was with a leper. A leper came up to Jesus and said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And you remember that Jesus answered by saying, I am willing, be clean. Jesus cleansed that leper, but you remember there was something else Jesus did in that miracle. Jesus then directed the man to go and show himself to the priests. Why did Jesus do that? He was cleansed. Jesus was telling him to go and to show himself to the priests in order that he might be recognized as being clean so that he could be restored to the community, so that he could enjoy the fruits of Jesus's work, so that he could enjoy the aftermath of Jesus's healing. And here, as we turn to the end of Mark's gospel, we are again met with another leper, but we're meeting, we're meeting with a leper who is now enjoying the aftermath of that healing work. Someone who now enjoys community once again. Someone who can have people into their homes. And so this Simon the leper, who no doubt uh, was a leper himself at one point, is having Jesus into his home, perhaps because he himself had been healed by Jesus uh, and commemorating and honoring Jesus in the process. Uh, and so uh, we're told that Jesus was reclining a table and a woman came up and broke this flask of ointment uh, that was very costly and uh, poured it on Jesus's head. What stands out about this uh, is uh, what uh, the act itself. Uh, Mark simply says, a woman came in. Now, if you've read through the different gospel accounts, you'll notice that each of the gospels actually tell us about this event. And in John's gospel, John tells us the woman was Mary. Uh, and Mary, uh, the uh, sister of Lazarus, uh, is how John depicts it. And so John identifies the woman. But Mark here is not so much focused on who it is as to what this woman is doing, what this act actually emphasizes. And he wants to zero in on the act itself. And so Mark tells us that this woman did something very amazing. She took this ointment and he highlights it was a very costly thing. She broke the flask and then poured it on Jesus's head. In fact, Mark stresses the costliness of this in every way that he can. Uh, with all the descriptions that he gives there, uh, he says, an alabaster flask of ointment, pure nard, very costly. She broke the flask. He tells us that this was pure nard, that this ointment was of a high-valued uh, perfume, that this was something that would have been imported from or come from India. Uh, this was no ordinary ointment. Uh, this was something that was highly prized. He says not only was it of pure nard, but he says furthermore that it was worth, uh, in the response of uh, those who scolded her, Mark highlights that this was worth over 300 denarii. A denarii uh, was the equivalent of one day's labor. Uh, it was one day's wage. So 300 denarii, over 300 denarii, 
is about the equivalent of a year's worth of work. This was very costly ointment that we're talking about here. And not only that, but we're told, not only was it uh, costly in terms of, it, uh, of its whereabouts, it was a pure nard, genuine nard. Uh, not only was it more than 300 denarii, but we're also told that the woman, the woman doesn't simply pour some of it over Jesus' head, but that the woman broke the flask, something that wouldn't have been necessary. But once it's done, it's entirely consumed. That once you break the flask, there's no going back. She smashes the jar, meaning it could not be used again, but highlighting that the gift was given in its totality to honor Jesus. She could have simply poured a little bit to honor Jesus. And we have to realize that honoring or anointing someone's head was not an unforeseen act in those days. That was a custom that was practiced. Uh, Jesus himself challenged uh, one of the Pharisees about that matter. But this woman here not only anoints the head of Jesus, but she dedicates the entirety of the gift to Jesus, this very costly gift. And it is an expression of her love. That when we think about love, love is expressing, love is expressed through sacrifice. That when we are willing to give up something, for the enrichment, for the betterment, for the building up of another, for the honoring of another person. This woman is sacrificing something very costly in order to say something of the, the, how much Jesus means to her. And so she does something uh, very beautiful uh, through this act. But we're told that this act uh, that she does is something that was despised by those who were in attendance. It tells us in verse 4 that there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And so it tells us there, even in verse 5, that they scolded her. Uh, that word for scolding uh, is the word for snorting. Uh, it's the same word that would be used to describe a horse or a bull. You young people, have you ever seen uh, bullfighting or heard about bullfighting? Uh, perhaps over in Spain where they have uh, uh, the, the bull all enraged and provoked. Uh, and then they, they, they tease uh, and entertain uh, the crowd with the bull. That bull will uh, snarl uh, at its uh, opponent. Uh, he may paw the ground and then his nostrils flare in anger. Right? He's, been, he's been stirred up and provoked, uh, and he snorts before he charges. That's the language here, uh, that when those that were in attendance saw this act, it wasn't just like they rolled their eyes and said, oh, this was silly, but that they were actually very annoyed by this act. This, this was not just unnecessary. This was a waste. This was something that shouldn't have been done. Uh, this was reckless. And so they're actually looking down on the woman's act as something inappropriate. Now, again, if you read through your Gospels, uh, you know who was that scolded uh, this woman. You know it was Judas. Judas uh, rebuked this woman, and you know that Judas rebuked the woman because John tells you Judas was a thief, and Judas used to help himself to the money bag. As the one who carried the money, he actually took some of the money for himself. 
And so Judas was upset when he saw this because Judas was selfish. And he was someone who was uh, greedy as well. And so we understand why Judas uh, reacts this way. But you notice here in Mark, Mark doesn't say Judas. Mark says some, meaning more than one. It wasn't only Judas that was upset by this. And if you read in Matthew's gospel, Matthew tells us who the some were. It included the disciples collectively. The disciples didn't get it. The disciples saw this action and the disciples were annoyed. Again, they, they saw this act and they just, they couldn't see it right. And so it tells us that they were the ones that were scolding the woman. That they were the ones who were annoyed by what has happened. That this was an act of waste from their vantage point. And so uh, this act is despised by more than just Judas. And the complaint of the disciples as expressed there as well, that this money could have been given, uh, this 300 denarii, again, like a year's wage. We're not talking about small potatoes here. We're talking about a lot of money. This could have been given to the poor. This could have had a practical use that is gone because of what this woman has done. And so from their vantage point, it seems to have been so reckless to have destroyed something that could have helped so many people. But there's something that they're missing, isn't there? On one side, they're missing the love that is being expressed. But on the other side, they're missing what the act was, who it was done to. That they're so earthly bound, that they're so focused on practical issues that they're, they're failing to look at the situation from the point of view of including God. And, uh, and so they rush forward with their decision that this was something terrible that the woman did. So there was an act that was done to Jesus, the anointing of Jesus' head, the pouring of this pure nard that was very costly over his head by this woman. It was something that was despised by the people that are there. This was not something that everyone rejoiced in, but something that those around Jesus were upset by. But it's an act that Jesus himself actually defends. Jesus defends this woman and what she has done. He says, why are you troubling her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. And you notice how Jesus comes to this woman's defense, that he defends what she did, her expression of love, on two grounds, really. What she did was beautiful because first and foremost, it was done to me. That, that there was a motivation in her act that needs to be recognized. It needs to be highlighted. That the gift itself was communicating something that cannot be suppressed or buried. I remember seeing a video on, on the internet and it was a video of a father giving his son a birthday gift. And by the way the video was presented, it seemed uh, that this was a delicate situation, uh, that the son was not expecting much. Uh, but then the father pulls out the cherished gift and it was an aluminum baseball bat. And the son is reduced to tears 
because it is the bat that he longed for but didn't think he could ever have. But as he receives that bat, he goes and hugs his father because he knows that money could have been used for so many other things. But his dad wanted to give him that bat. There's a love that was being communicated. And so that son doesn't just go running off with the bat saying, look what I got. I got what I hoped for. I got that cherished bat, that particular bat that I saw so often. But he leaves instead by turning to his dad and hugging him. That the gift was cherished because it was given in love. And so here, Jesus defends the woman's actions first on the ground that she has done something beautiful because it was done to me. It was an expression of her love towards me. And so Jesus here is bringing things into perspective, uh, thinking about the motivation of the woman and to whom it is ultimately done. They're thinking abstractly about the problems, the needs. What is the greatest concern here? It is about alleviating problems. It is about alleviating the, the stresses around us. Jesus is saying there's more than just problems in this world. That there's more that we need to be concerned about it than just simply the temporary issues. There is this expression of love that needs to be cherished. That it needs to be highlighted. She's done something beautiful. She has done this to me. But more than that, Jesus explains, the poor you will always have among you. Uh, whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. There's, there's no end date uh, to being good towards those who are in need. Uh, Jesus here isn't being heartless. He's simply echoing what the Old Testament law highlights in Deuteronomy. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. The law of God said that this will be an abiding reality. There will always be people in need. And you can always be generous. But Jesus is saying there's something distinct about the moment that we're in. I will not always be with you. And it was right for this woman to acknowledge the importance of honoring me. That it was right for this woman to, uh, to uh, anoint my head in this way, to call attention to the moment that we are in in history. Perhaps this woman's actions uh, seem extreme or wasteful, but if that's what we're thinking this morning, we should, not, we should uh, not just consider the perfume, but the one who is being anointed. Notice what Jesus says in verse 8. She has done what she could. She has done what she has done. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Whether or not the woman understood what she was doing in its fullness, Jesus graciously attributes it to her. And Jesus interprets it for the disciples. This is a good thing because it is honoring the work that is going to take place. And so uh, earlier Jesus had spoken about his own death. He had uh, predicted it to his disciples. But now as Passover is just two days away, Jesus is knowing that his death is imminent. And as his death is becoming more and more imminent, 
Jesus shows his willingness again to proceed. The shadow of the cross is looming large, and yet Jesus is content to accept that. She's anointing me to prepare for my death. And so it's a good thing. The Passover sacrifice, we said, was the commemoration of that time when the lamb was killed uh, in order to deliver people from the judgment of God. But as Passover approaches, Jesus is highlighting that what is communicated in Passover is going to be actualized on him. That he is that lamb of God who is going to die in order that the judgment of God would pass over God's people so that they would escape the judgment of uh, of God against sin. And Jesus knew that this was uh, going to take place. This woman's actions then will seem strange or reckless unless we understand them in light of her appreciation for all that Jesus meant to her. We said that Mark focused in really on what she's doing, but we know that this is Mary. This is Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus. This is Mary who grew in her understanding of God and of, her grace, uh, of his grace through Jesus. This is Mary who received her brother back from the dead through Jesus. Jesus meant everything. And so when she offers up this perhaps family heirloom, when she offers up this ointment and anoints the head of Jesus, what she's expressing is is that Jesus deserves all, that nothing is too great for Jesus. And she's doing that because she has received so much from Jesus. Having experienced the love of Jesus, it has brought out a response of love as well. And until we get that, this whole act will seem strange and a waste. We'll continue to think about other things that could have been done, rather than by seeing what this woman is expressing, that Jesus is worth it, and that he is to be given the glory due to his name. So Jesus defends the woman's actions. It was done out of a heart, out of a motive of love. And it was done on the occasion that is leading up to his own death. This kind of love will remain foreign to us uh, because we haven't known what it is to love, uh, to be loved like this. Unless we see Christ's love towards us, we may find ourselves sneering and scolding and even snorting like the disciples. So uh, Jesus uh, came to to bring life. He came to bring hope. Uh, Mary had been the recipient of that love and of that hope. And now she lives in response and expresses that love uh, back towards Jesus. So we see a beautiful act that was done to Jesus, an act that was despised by those that were there, an act that was defended as right by Jesus because it is preparing for his own death. But it is also an act that Jesus says will be declared by others to be right. In verse 9, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has, been, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Jesus believed that his death would not be the end. It would actually be the beginning. Again, Jesus predicts his own death. 
but he also predicts there will be many consequences that flow from it. One is, is that people will never forget and that people around the world will be shaped by it. Jesus says what this woman has done will be remembered by people. They will talk about it, but they will continue to talk about it because they will be shaped by the death of Christ himself. Her actions would seem appropriate in light of what Jesus does. Because people will realize the fullness of God's love through the death of the Lord Jesus, others would remember this expression and resonate with it. They will say, she was right. She did this because she received Lazarus back. She did this because she heard about God's grace. But we have witnessed, we have heard about God's love through the cross, through the resurrection of the Son of God. And if God has shown such love to sinners such as us, should it not bring forth a response of love in return? Where we say, everything belongs to God, that he deserves all glory. Is that how we think of Jesus? That we are people that recognize that he deserves all the glory. People look at Jesus differently. Again, the chief priests, Jesus is a threat that needs to be eliminated. Judas, Jesus is a disappointment. He's not going to bring us liberation from the Romans. And he's, a, he's worth nothing to me. But sandwiched in between that is this woman's act of love, saying Jesus means everything to me. And I would give up everything for Jesus. Something that isn't wasteful. But when we see what Christ has done in giving his life as a lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, we find that this woman was actually right. That God brings salvation from sin for all who believe in him. Have you tasted of God's love? And does it bring forth a response of love as well? Where you agree with this woman, saying all glory, everything belongs to Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would bless us as we think over uh, this event in the life of Jesus. Help us to realize not only that Jesus knew uh, that death was imminent, but also that he knew uh, why he was laying down his life and the aftermath that would come from it. Lord, uh, we marvel at how uh, the whole world will speak and remember the act of this woman uh, because it was right and because it was an expression of love. We pray, Lord, that by your spirit we would give our amen but also that we would respond with adoration ourselves. Go before us in Jesus' name. Amen.